turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to John, the 15th chapter. We come tonight to a rather lengthy passage that I want us to consider under the title, The Wages of Righteousness. The Wages of Righteousness. I think it would be a fair general uh, statement to make that if we take on balance the things that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ said about the way we are to live, about our relationships in the world that we are in, we would conclude that he never intends us to live in pious isolation. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to live in active contact with the human condition, interacting in a redemptive, in a godly way at all times with the problems and the pain of mankind. Uh, I remember a statement I heard uh, Stuart Briscoe make years ago. He was talking about something like this, and he said, separation we preach, isolation we practice. Indeed, I think uh, one of the worst things that the modern uh, conservative Christian church has done is to draw righteous robes of uh, Pharisaism around us and refuse to interact in the deepest needs and the worst problems of the world around us. Jesus Christ never did that. Because we have a new nature, because we have a new aim, because there is a new character in us, the world cannot understand it. The passage that we are looking at tonight would teach us that attachment to Christ will at times bring the hatred and the persecution of the world that is hostile to him. Jesus exposed the condition of those around him. And he said that his true people will always be a contradiction to and an insult to the world. Now, not every contact that we have with the world will be fruitful to salvation. But even though that is not true, we must in every case or we ought in every case to be faithful to accurately present the character and the personality and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. There are many uh, scripture passages, and we'll uh, look at only a couple of them briefly, that would tell us that the attitude the world has toward the true believer is not strange at all. In fact, it is very natural that the world is hostile to us because the world is hostile to the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Apostle always saw things in terms of black and white. I like the word ambiguity. It is, you know, kind of maybe or maybe not and uh, where the black and the white uh, intersect and there may be shades of gray, but you will find very little ambiguity and very little room for neutrality or compromise of principle 
in the writings of the Apostle John. And in this passage, Jesus very plainly says that those who follow and obey him will receive hostility from the world. In the book of Second or First Peter, just a couple of uh, verses here, to put into perspective the fact that we need always to separate suffering for our faith and suffering for our sins. Peter draws that distinction. In 1 Peter 2, verses 19 and 20, For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right, and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. And over in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 16, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed but in that name let him glorify God. The wages of righteousness. Notice these things with me, please. First of all, in John 15, verses 18 through 22, here is the hatred of the world. Jesus says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, remember, or therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Simply put, the world loves its own easily and the world hates those that are not of the world. Therefore, the world hates Christ and because we are devoted to him, we bear his mark, we bear his presence, we owe him allegiance, his life is in us, therefore the hatred of the world is transferred to those who truly belong to Christ. It is a harsh statement, perhaps. It is not one that I am very fond of, but I believe it to be true. The measure in which this world praises us 
is the measure to which we are not like Jesus Christ. Union with Him means fellowship in His suffering. Jesus says in this passage, the verses that we've read, that He exposed their sin, that because He came, He left them without excuse. He made a way of escape for the sins of the world, but He revealed the sins, and now they have no hiding place, and rather than follow Him, they hated Him for it. He tells us that the world will be hostile because of its own darkness and because of his choice of us. Nothing so stirs up the intimate, the enmity of the carnal mind like the Word of God. Uh, it, is, it is not specifically my topic tonight. I will not dwell on it, but often when faced with things that I could not handle, that I had no wisdom, sensing or feeling the enmity against God, even when others don't believe it, they don't want to hear it, even if I give it without identifying it, I will give them the Word of God. It is not the Word of God because they want to hear it. It has a life of its own. It is quick. It is powerful. It will pierce and divide even the distinction between the soul and the spirit as a sword does between the joint and the marrow. Part of the wages of righteousness is the hatred of the world. No Christian can say honestly, that he or she was not warned about persecution. For the Lord Jesus Christ not only warned about it, he promised that it would take place. It was the religious world that was the most hostile to the Lord Jesus Christ. True believers who stand in his spirit on his word and follow what he says will meet opposition. And then look, if you would, in verses 23 through 27 of John 15. A part of the wages of righteousness is the witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Jesus said, He who hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my Father as well. Here the Lord Jesus speaks of the misuse of privilege and knowledge. For his full and complete revelation of the heart of the Father exposed their misuse of God's Word and their twisting of the Scriptures and their taking of that authority and using it to their own ends. It is a principle which Jesus stated often that the more we receive from Him, the more He shows us, the more we know Him, the more we are accountable 
for what he reveals. In verse 24, Jesus says that they saw him and hated him. For one who loves the Lord, it seems so hard to understand how seeing and hearing him, you could hate him. But that is the reaction of the world to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says they are self-condemned. Though it is probably an oversimplification, one of the reasons why someone can see the power and the grace and the mercy and the wisdom of God and yet reject it is because unbelief is of the will, not the mind. It is a willful choice. Over and again, Jesus said, as did the prophets, they will not, they will not see, they will not turn. They will not repent. It is an honest statement when an unbeliever says, I won't accept that. That is an honest statement. It is honestly wrong, but it is honest. The witness of the Holy Spirit is powerful through us because it reveals the Father. And it is the witness of the Holy Spirit that bears testimony to our hearts that we belong to Him, that He is with us. And to the extent that our witness, our verbal, personal witness by the way that we live, by the words that we speak, the reason it is powerful when it is is because of the indwelling presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Our witness is real and powerful when first of all it is when first of all we are in intimate fellowship with God. Certainly we cannot always tell about each other and about other Christians when an individual is walking with the Lord. But I think all of us know the experience of coming into the presence and taking the hand or hearing the voice or having a conversation, a time of sharing and fellowship with someone. And when you go away, you know that you have been in the presence of the Lord. When there is intimate fellowship with Him, then our witness will be effective. When there is inner conviction of the truth of God's Word and we are submissive to it, then the words that we speak about the truth will be convincing. And when our witness is the outworking of our insides and it is authentic, then that witness will be authentic. F.B. Meyer makes this rather intriguing statement about sin at its worst. This is sin at its worst, not a Nero drenched with the blood of his relatives and the saints, nor the brutalized expression of the murderer, nor the degradation of the heathen, but in those near you 
who have heard of the love of Jesus from their earliest childhood and who know that he died for them and yet waits to bless them but who deliberately and persistently refuse him, you will find there the most terrible revelation of human sin. And he quotes the words of John, this is the condemnation that light comes into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now in John chapter 16, notice thirdly, the memory of the master. It is part of the wages of righteousness. He says, These things I have spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming when everyone, everyone who kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you that when their hour comes you may remember that I told you of them. And those things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. The world's hatred was inevitable. The Lord Jesus describes to what lengths it will go. There will come a time, indeed, there have always been times since he spoke those words when people have died simply because of their faith. And though it is very remote from us, in the 20th century, more people have given their lives because of their faith than in all of the other centuries combined. Jesus says that it will happen, and he tells them so that they will not be offended, so that they will not be surprised. Surely their reaction was one of depression, and he is trying to dispel the gloom that they feel, and he tells them that in those moments they will remember and they will be comforted. Notice in verses 7 through 12 of John 16, here is the conviction of the Spirit. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Part of the wages of righteousness is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus 
certainly uh, must uh, have sounded unreasonable when he said to them that his departure ought to be for them a cause for joy, that it was for their benefit. Because after he was gone, he would come to each one of them permanently in the presence of his Holy Spirit. There are three aspects that Jesus mentions of the work of the Holy Spirit. The relationship of the Holy Spirit to the world is one of conviction. The relationship of the Holy Spirit to the believer is one of guidance. The relationship of the Holy Spirit to Christ is that the Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ and all of these he does through the instrumentality of the Word of God which Jesus has already revealed. In relationship to us, we need a guide. A guide implies not only that we need one, but it implies that we need to be willing to follow. Conviction of sin is not enough. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, but you know about Him, then I urge you that you should not wait too long. You need to come to Him when He speaks. For if you come to Him at all, you will come at a time of His choosing, not at a time of your choosing. He convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. Someone is observed that whenever sin and righteousness meet, there must be judgment. And in Jesus Christ, when sin and righteousness met, He Himself took the judgment that was due on our sin. Only God can convict and convince of sin. It is beyond our powers of persuasion. And though we need be faithful in our witness, that we need to be consistent in our living, we need to be willing to share with those that God brings into our lives to help point them in the right way. Do not ever try to take the place of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. He can. Only He can produce salvation. It is not especially hard in many circumstances to make someone ethical, to make them live up to a certain standard of behavior. But it is a far different matter to bring a human being to the foot of the cross as a sinner asking for forgiveness. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. And then in verses 13 through 16, the guidance of the Spirit is part of the wages of righteousness. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine 
and shall disclose it to you. These next two verses are very, very important. I encourage you to memorize them. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. A little while, and you will no longer behold me. Again a little while, and you will see me. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ by speaking his words and by reminding of his teachings. Jesus says that what the Father has, the Son has spoken. What the Son has spoken, the Holy Spirit conveys with power to us. The Father has it, the Son owns it, the Holy Spirit takes it and reveals it. The Holy Spirit lifts up Jesus Christ, not himself. He does not compete with Jesus. Now, talking about the Trinity uh, is uh, Wayne, a, a man you may know who's an old friend of mine, made one of the all-time most wonderful statements anybody in the ministry ever made. We were talking on the phone about 10 years ago, and I said, well, how are you, and how are things going? He said, Draper, pastor in this church is like trying to nail jello teeth. Talking about the Trinity and making sense is kind of like that. Because at the same time, we do not want to suggest that the Holy Spirit is not God. The Holy Spirit is every bit as much God as God the Father or God the Son. But when Almighty God relates himself to his creation, it is the Son who is Lord of lords and King of kings. And the Holy Spirit does not magnify himself. He magnifies Jesus Christ. Beware of teaching that tempts you to fall in love with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a piece of glass. When you look at him, you see Christ. The condition of excellence in the school of discipleship is obedience to what the Holy Spirit reveals, that is, to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's authority lies in the fact that he teaches, reveals, and guides, and leads through the Word of God. If you do business with the Holy Spirit of God, it will take you to the Word of God for an explanation and for answers. Jesus Christ is our textbook and our curriculum is obedience. Now, guidance, our relationship to the Holy Spirit, implies a process, a pilgrimage, a journey. And if you close your mind, you will not receive any guidance. The old... Uh, 
saying about a mind is like a parachute. It only works when it is open. Is very true. Who needs a guide? At least three kinds of folks. Those who are blind, those who are too weak to walk alone, and those who are traveling in a foreign land. And all three of those apply to us without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, He will lead you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. All truth is not all information. Now, we don't have time to define the terms and to talk about them, but all facts and all information are not truth. Truth, as the Lord Jesus uses it in John 15 and 16, is all the truth revealed in the Word of God taught by the Holy Spirit, all revealed truth. And the New Testament that we have in our Bibles was the fulfillment of this promise that the Holy Spirit would fully explain everything that Jesus said. He calls on us to trust Him and to walk with Him because we cannot get to where we go without His help. The world will always be evil. The world will always be at war with Him. And Jesus says, I am offering you the toughest of all possible roads to walk, but I will walk it with you. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have laid before us not some mythical, non-existent, fairy tale world of all sweetness and light and happiness and no problems, but that you have given us a, pro a promise that is far greater, that no matter what the world may do, no matter what life may bring, no matter what the tragedy, the sorrow, the demand, the defeat, you will never, ever leave us alone. Father, would you, by your grace and for your glory, touch our hearts and uh, illumine the dark places, show us our sin, Draw from us confession, repentance, commitment that will change our lives and give us your peace which passes understanding. Give us the grace to desire the wages of righteousness rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Father, thank you for holding us in your hand, for bringing us safely to your heart and to your home forever. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We will sing as a hymn of commitment during this time 
of invitation, hymn 325, Footsteps of Jesus. When you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not have a choice of whether or not you will be involved in the war. You only have a choice of whether you are armed for battle or you are helpless. And when you walk with him in the light of his word, you are armed for battle. What he would have you do, if it involves salvation, if you would give your heart to Christ, if you would join this church, if you would give him control of your life, whatever he would have you do, do it right now, do it quickly, as we stand and while we sing.